0: Oral questions by members?
1: Leader of the Official Opposition.
2: Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, another day and another development in the Premier's BC Housing scandal. For almost half a decade, we know that this NDP government sat on a very damning accounting report by the firm BDO that sounded the alarm about the financial management that was taking place at BC Housing and at ATIRA. Now, when pressured to respond to a leaked report, Uh, last year, BC Housing issued a patently false statement that read, and I quote, the recommendations in the draft BDO report were reviewed and appropriately addressed by ATIRA and BC Housing, end of quote. Now this attempt to sanitize the BDO report happened under the Premier's watch while he was the Minister responsible for housing. And despite the NDP government's best attempts to cover up, shift blame, try and distract, The fact is that truth continues to rise to the surface. We're now learning of a third damning Ernst & Young report that was completed last year and relates to the former CEO of BC Housing, a report that has never been made public by this NDP government. And we're also hearing from former board members of BC Housing. This report has been hidden behind the non-disclosure agreements the Premier and former minister responsible for housing forced them all to sign. So my question is, will the Premier make that hidden third Ernst and Young report public today, remove the gag orders that he's put in place on former members of the BC Housing Board, and allow the truth about their own mismanagement of BC Housing to be released for the public to look at?
1: Minister of Housing.
2: Thank
3: you so much, Honourable Speaker. Uh, I appreciate the member's question, and I thank him for it. Uh, Honorable Speaker, there's a couple things I would say. First off, on the BDO report, uh, the member keeps repeating that, uh, uh, that for some reason uh, he suggests that we would hide a report that looks into their time in government, right? Their time in government. The BDO report, what he refers to, was done in 2017. Uh, was looking at the time when the BC uh, uh, Liberals then were in government. Why would we hide a report that has that information from the public? It makes no sense, Honourable Speaker. Now we shared with the member already in this House, Honourable Speaker, that a report was commissioned by the board at the time. It was not shared with the minister minister, uh, that was responsible at the time. Uh, The report then was a decision was made by the board that they felt that there wasn't enough information to go further. Now, we took further steps, Honorable Speaker. When the Premier came in, within three months of coming into the file, he realized, "Wait, hey, wait a minute, there's some serious issues here. He uh, um, brought in uh, Ernest Young through the Office Controller General. They did an investigation. They said, wait a minute, there's some flags here, there's some serious issues, and we need to take further action. And that's what the Premier did, Honorable Speaker. He took action when he saw something inappropriate. Now, what we have learned is in 2012, issues were raised. Uh, when the BC Liberals were in government. And at the time, the minister said, I have no indication whatsoever any time that things have been handled misproperly. And now we've learned, from, uh, through Global's reporting, that in uh, 2015, there was uh, actually a note sent to uh, the Chief of Staff for Rich Coleman, who was the Minister for BC Housing. In there, they identify conflict of interest issues. In fact, uh, the letter says, Something is definitely not right here, and despite past notifications to various parties of potential for the CEO to be in direct conflict of interest, these infractions are still occurring. So the question for the member across the way is what did he do when he had this information?
1: Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental. Well,
2: thank you, Mr. Speaker. I am always glad to give the member opposite some lessons in good corporate governance because the fact of the matter is, just a minute, the best part's coming. Let's,
1: let's, to this. let's get you the question. Members,
2: you get excited before you should. Now just wait because the best part's coming. <laughs> The fact of the matter is we always did regular reports on any of the housing providers. And the members may recall—just a minute, this is the good part. Members? The members may recall that in 2013 we did a review of the Portland Hotel Society. And it turned out the former NDP MLA, Jenny Kwan, and her husband who ran the Portland Hotel Society were travelling around the globe. Vienna, Disneyland, Austria. Government dime, money that was misspent and misappropriated, and she had to pay it back. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise that in 2017, the government of the day also did a study to find out what was going on at Atira and that report did cover the time the member was in office and amazingly enough this damning report that was ringing all kinds of alarm bells about the misspending at BC Housing and apparently at Atira and this government sat on it for almost 5 years that's the record a- so despite all the empty talk and the rhetoric the fact of the matter is that we the fact of the matter is that the minister feigned action yesterday, and he said, and I quote, I'm quoting right from the minister yesterday in question period, I made sure immediately that staff stopped any additional funding that may be going to ATIRA, end of quote. Once again, trying to shift all the blame onto ATIRA. Now that was on March the 6th, yet a month later he contradicted himself with a news release announcing more funding to ATIRA to manage the gas town building on Water Street, with wonderful quotes from the minister himself. This just doesn't add up. The minister had the report in his hands, not just the BDO report, but the Ernst & Young report. A damning report suggesting all kinds of problems, and yet weeks later he's announcing more funding for the very organization that he professes to be so concerned about and that they're trying to put all the blame on. There's definitely more to the story here Mr. Speaker indeed. We are hearing from former board members. Former board members of BC Housing who say the complete story is actually buried behind a wall of disclosure agreements that they forced those board members to sign before firing their own NDP appointed board. So will the minister since the Premier doesn't answer questions, will the minister at least release the third hidden Ernst & Young report, suspend the gag orders on those board members, and let the truth come out for
4: British Columbians to see what's going on?
1: Minister of Housing.
3: Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. Um, uh, for the record, the member never answered the question on why they didn't do anything in 2015 when this information was brought forward. Speaker.
1: Members! Minister will continue. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker.
3: Uh, again, Honourable Speaker, uh, we had a forensic investigation, a very thorough forensic investigation done by Ernest Young by the Controller General's Office. <laughs> speaker, for the first time in BC's history, a report was released under Section 25 unredacted, so the public could see all the issues that Ernest and Young discovered. Speaker. Now this is in contrast to uh, reports having pages ripped out. Shh.
1: Members. Please.
3: this is in contrast to an opposition when they were in government ripping complete pages out of documents yes. honorable speaker triple deleting information on speaker we have taken a different approach we believe it's in the public interest to have this information released what the reports say the report said that there was a former CEO of BC housing was uh, finding ways to ensure that dollars went to his partners um, um, uh, uh, not-for-profit honorable speaker going out of his way going out of his way to ensure that no one could be able to see what he did honorable speaker that was wrong when we see something we take action honorable speaker and that's what we've done here
1: member for cambellus north thompson
5: well thank you mr speaker the whole time and this is about this government's actions and this government's decisions around bc housing and atira and the whole time that they've been in government they received the 2018 BDO report that they tried to bury that showed that there were serious concerns at ATIRA. There was a second EUI report that came out that showed serious concerns, enough to trigger a forensic audit by EY as well. And now there's this buried third report as well, all pointing to ATIRA. So what did this government do, Mr. Speaker, as they handled that? They put their hand-appointed board in place of BC Housing. And at the same time, they made sure all their friends and insiders at ATIRA Saw a tripling of their funding. And who were their friends and insiders? This is the judgment of this government, Mr. Speaker. Their hand picked candidate in the Vancouver Cochina by election was on that same board that was already having serious questions raised to this government about the handling of public funds at Atira. They then. Much to our surprise, as we peel back the onion, Mr. Speaker, find out that the Forest Minister's spouse is on the board of ETIRA as well. Talk about friends and insiders at a time that this Premier won't explain how the tripling of funds to an agency under non-stop bad reports is being looked at. Let's triple Today we also learned that the government will not be scrutinizing the for-profit property management arm of ETIRA, a central player in the Premier's BC housing scandal. No, the Premier's choice to exclude a tier of property management or APMI from his critical review, Mr. Speaker, is deeply troubling. APMI is responsible for managing SRO hotels such as the Columbia Hotel, the Buchan Hotel, and Burns Block. Properties acquired under this Premier's tenure when he was the housing minister. APMI also managed the ill-fated Winters Hotel, Mr. Speaker, where faulty sprinklers and empty fire extinguishers contributed to a fatal fire a year ago that claimed two lives, but nothing but evasion from this Premier and this government. After numerous concealed reports and cover-ups, why is the Premier not subjecting every single aspect of ETIRA to a comprehensive financial review? Is it because there's still too many friends and insiders there? there
1: Minister of Housing.
3: Thank you so much honorable speaker there's uh, so many things uh, factually incorrect in that member's statement. Uh, again, I don't know where to start. So, but I will I will start with uh, the first important piece, which is the the Minister of Forests uh, has acted with great integrity in this entire process. He has himself recused himself from any conversation that pertains to uh, Terra. Uh, not only has he done that, uh, he hasn't spoken to me about a single issue since this whole thing has come forward. And that's the type of integrity that we were hoping that the former CEO of BC Housing would have had, Hon. Speaker. because if that had been done, if conflict of interest rules there had been followed, we wouldn't have to have the uh, forensic investigation, we wouldn't have to have the information that we have here. Now, the members across the way know that uh, they also have connections to people on the board of uh, Terra. The Leader of the Opposition, a uh, former colleague, uh, is the Chair of, uh, of, of a Terra board. And so I think it's important to know before we throw rocks on our Speaker that the issue at the core of this report, on our Speaker, the issue at the core of this report, on our Speaker, is a former CEO of BC Housing. Uh, using his power to try to get additional contact, direct awards given to his partner, who is the CEO of ATERRA. This is where the issue is. That's what's talked about in this report. Not once, multiple times, and going at great lengths to hide that relationship and and that work. speaker. That is where my biggest concern is. We will be taking action. We've already uh, told ATERRA we will be getting that $1.9 million back. We will be freezing new additional funds that go to them, but at the same time, Speaker. Speaker, what's vitally important is that the most vulnerable people that the organization support will continue to get the support they need. Because in the end, the honourable speaker, that's what should matter most, not the political back and forth, but the people who need the support the most. <laughs>
1: Camlos Supplemental
5: Thank you uh, Mr. Speaker well the, the minister likes to talk tough in here but last I checked the friends and insiders at the board of ETIRA keep telling this, this minister and this premier to go away they're going to do whatever they want they're not changing how they do business because they've done nothing wrong apparently and Mr. Speaker I would also point out to the minister that it's this premier and this government that is actually in charge and they're the ones that actually have been approving the money. We're not the decision-makers on this side right now, newsflash, it's your decision-making that's in question here, as you triple the dollars going to ETIRA while they've been under a cloud the whole time you've been in government. Mr. Speaker, once again, based on these answers, we're seeing further attempts by the Premier to cover up this B.C. housing scandal. The damning 2018 report from BDO explicitly warned of the financial mismanagement at both ATIRA and their fully-owned subsidiary, APMI. To quote directly from the report, APMI receives 80% of the gross monthly payment received by ATIRA from BC Housing—80%, Mr. Speaker. So when the Premier concealed these reports and then tripled the funding, to ATIRA at the same time, 80% of that tripling was funneled to the profit-driven subsidiary APMI. Wow. That's this government's decision-making, Mr. Nothing Speaker. Yet instead of initiating a thorough and transparent investigation into the group implicated in the fatal Winter's Hotel fire, the Premier is shielding this portion from Atira from total scrutiny. Can the Premier tell the victims of the Winter's Hotel Fire why they aren't entitled? To a comprehensive investigation into the finances of Atira and all of its subsidiaries. Minister of Housing.
3: Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. And um, there there were two victims in that fire, and uh, I know that's heavy on everyone's hearts. Um, And uh, and I know right now that there is a court case happening, Uh, and so I I can't comment any more on that matter. But I, I will say, honourable speaker, that it's important for the record to note that uh, during the pandemic, funding for not-for-profits to provide support for the most vulnerable people were increased. There's no, uh, we're not denying that because that was vitally important, honourable speaker. That saved lives. It saved lives for people across this province, honourable speaker. We did increase the supports for people because we knew that the most vulnerable were disproportionately facing the impacts of the pandemic. Now, what we didn't do, Honourable Speaker, was direct reward them to one part, one uh, members, organization. Members. That is at the core of the issue. The issue isn't additional dollars going to support the most vulnerable people. The issue is that when BC Housing got dollars, they gave direct contracts, direct awards to their uh, to uh, to one not-for-profit, which has Mem- serious
1: Members, profit. members, 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 please. Minister will continue.
3: Honourable Speaker, it's 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 important. This is an important point. I mean, this is an important topic. I assume the members want to hear answers. Heckling the entire time when we're having an important conversation does not help this conversation. This is a serious report, uh, and so it's important for members to have the detail. Money gets funded to BC Housing. They make decisions on not-for-profits that can provide that support. Maybe it was different when they were in government. Maybe they directly awarded contracts to not-for-profits. That's not what happens here, Honourable Speaker. Decisions were made. Clearly says in the report that the uh...
1: members, please continue.
3: Thank you, Honourable Speaker. The report lays out clearly, Honourable Speaker. That the CEO of BC Housing, the former CEO of BC Housing, uh, went out of his way to uh, direct staff, to direct reward contracts to his spouse's uh, not for profit. That is at the core of the issue here. The issue isn't additional dollars going to helping the most vulnerable people. I know members across both sides supported additional dollars to go to support the most vulnerable. What we didn't support, Honourable Speaker, is decisions being made. Behind without procurement processes, going directly to the CEO's p- partner. We all agree that that is not appropriate behaviour, and that's why we released that report.
1: Leader of the Third Party.
6: Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Good to hear about the concern over direct award, no bid contracts. Hopefully, this government will look into the $430 million at Site C that have been direct awarded with no bids. My question. Not on that topic, hon. Speaker. Through you, is to the Premier, does the Premier believe that workers in this province should be paid a living wage?
1: Minister of Labour. Thank you.
7: I want to thank the, uh, the member for, for her question. It is important, because everyone on this side of the House respects workers, they respect their right to earn a good living.
4: Especially lawyers?
8: <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Speaker, members, Mr. are you Speaker, feeling
1: better now?
7: Please. Minister will continue. Mr. Speaker, when we formed government, minimum wage in this province was one of the lowest in the country. Why? Because it was frozen for 10 years. By the previous government. Ten years of us frozen, Mr. Speaker. Shh, members, time, members, members, time, members, no was interruptions, given to please. The, 2%, the highest wage in this province. When we formed government, we appointed a Fair Wages Commission. They came back with, the, after consulting with communities, consulting with labor activists, consulting with businesses, especially small businesses, came back and recommended that the minimum wage should go up to $15 an hour over a four-year period. That's what we did. After four years, minimum wage went to $15.20, Mr. Speaker. I'm proud to say that that was the highest of all provinces in this country. <clears throat> Mr. Speaker, then we, suggest, but then we said that the minimum wage should be tied to the rate of inflation. <clears throat> we did that last year. The 2.8% because that was the inflation in the previous year. We did that again this year, 6.9% increase because that was the uh, inflation rate for last year. Again, this is the highest of all provinces in the country, we are really proud of that.
1: Leader of the Third Party Supplemental.
6: The Honorable Speaker, I was actually asking about living wages, but let's look at workers in this province who provide essential public services. As we speak, a transit strike in the Fraser Valley is entering its seventh week. Thousands of people have been unable to use public transit to get to work or school. Fraser Valley residents are frustrated, but people understand the plight of these transit workers. Bus drivers in the Fraser Valley make 32% less than those in neighboring regions. They often work long standby hours, for which they receive less than $3 an hour, and they have no pension plan. Workers are underpaid and overworked, and so they're on the picket line asking for fair wages and fair treatment. This is what happens when governments outsource public operations to for-profit corporations without any safeguards. Although the buses in the Fraser Valley are owned by BC Transit, they are operated by a private company, and that company is nickel and diming its workers. The employer hasn't stepped up to negotiate and the government has remained silent. Public operations should be publicly run. My question through you, Honourable Speaker, is to the Premier. Will he put an end to the private outsourcing of essential public operations and ensure workers like those on strike in the Fraser Valley earn a living wage?
9: Minister of Transportation. Very much, uh, Mr. Speaker, thank you to the member uh, for the question. Uh, We are urging all the parties involved in this dispute, both First Transit and and the union representing the workers who are in a legal strike position and are on the picket lines to get back to the table. The Minister of Labour has offered on a number of occasions the expertise of uh, a mediator uh, to assist the two parties to get back to the negotiating table. So far there is no agreement between the two parties to do that. We continue to believe that the solutions, both on pay and working conditions, that the union wishes to uh, pursue are best remedied at the bargaining table. That is how unions recently in the transit sector uh, achieved good collective agreements. Here in Greater Victoria, for example, just last month, uh, Metro Vancouver TransLink workers have also recently achieved a collective agreement, and so has the identical contractor that's involved as the employer in this dispute achieve collective agreements with employees in Kelowna and other communities. That's the way forward. At the bargaining table, the Minister of Labour has offered the assistance of a skilled mediator to get them there, and that's what we hope both parties agree to uh, and, and succeed at the bargaining table to get a lasting agreement that helps workers improve their pay and conditions.
1: Member for West vancouver
10: oh, Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's not just the BC housing scandal where the premier is failing British Columbians. After a year of fierce resistance by parents, the premier claimed to have paused his unilateral plan to centralize services for children with disabilities. But despite his clear promise to co-develop the path forward with parents, we hear from parents feeling dismissed overlooked and completely disregarded by this government. Last week we heard from the First Nations Leadership Council raising the same concerns. In the face of this lack of meaningful engagement, parents and professionals have stepped up to craft a comprehensive plan for better services. They call it the p Plan. It's based on lived experience, cutting-edge research and years of work serving these children. It offers a principled approach Uh, to diagnosis, individualized funding for all children with disabilities, and addresses critical barriers to access. This plan was shared with this government two months ago, and nothing has been heard uh, back to those parents. So, Mr. Speaker, will the Premier embrace and implement this plan, or continue with his failed top-down approach?
1: Minister of Children and Family Development.
11: Well, thank you very much. And thank you to the member for the question. We have made a very strong commitment um, to broader and deeper engagement. And so we will continue doing that, Honourable Speaker. That's with families, with stakeholders, with advocates, with uh, people with lived experience. We also will be engaging with Indigenous rights and title holders to meet the standards of the Declaration Act as well, Honourable Speaker. Um, I've met with the Disability Collaborative. There were uh, 17 groups represented on there. I continue to meet with agencies. I met with uh, an agency today. Um, and I continue to meet with families and other stakeholders as well. We've made that commitment. We will continue listening to the experiences, the knowledge and the expertise of people from the sector and from the field because, Honourable Speaker, we know that even today, still too many children are being left behind. We need to build a better system that will be informed by people um, with experience and knowledge and um, will also be informed by the evaluation of four pilot family connection centers. We know that we need to make improvements to the system because we, we need to match up services to children's unique needs as early as possible. It's so important to help them on their developmental pathway and to help children and youth thrive.
1: Member for Prince George Belmont.
11: Well, it's not
12: just the B.C. housing scandal, and the, uh, the minister's comments reflect a broken promise, another broken promise by this premier to families with neurodiverse children. There is no other way we can look at that answer. The crises are mounting in the province, and in fact health care continues to get worse in communities right across this province. We still have long emergency wait room times and hallway medicine. This week, in fact, we had an urgent memo from Dr. Jeff Plant, and he urged patients to actually bypass Langley Memorial Hospital. Why? Due to the dire and near catastrophic situation in the emergency department. This is a highly respected physician who says very sick patients are being warehoused for days in the emergency department. This is the same hospital in which Sonia Portillo nearly bled to death in a hallway overnight. So after six years, two terms under this NDP government, how many more patients must endure unbearable suffering? Having doctors say, don't go to that hospital, how much longer before British Columbians deserve the health care that they need and expect?
1: Minister of Health. Well, thank you. Uh,
4: thank you, Honourable Speaker. And first of all, I would say that the doctors, the nurses, the health sciences professionals, the health care workers at Langley Memorial Hospital have done an extraordinary job. That today in British Columbia, there are in our acute care hospitals across BC, 9,804 patients, uh, inpatient in our province and our healthcare professionals and workers are doing exceptional, an ex- exceptional work with respect to Langley. We're taking specific actions because this is an issue with, in particular with hospitalists at Langley Memorial Hospital and we are engaging them in discussions around their contract and I believe those discussions, and they'll continue on Friday, Honorable Speaker, will lead to a positive result in addition to that we're taking specific actions now at langley memorial hospital a group of family physicians in the langley area has been signed to a contract honorable speaker to take over a responsibility for patients at the hospital other significant actions are being taken as we work with all of those at the hospital family doctors nurses health sciences professionals and indeed hospitalists who have been raising significant issues about the hospital i must say though honorable speaker that uh, i think the actions that have been taken by the government have been, across the health professions, well-respected over the last period. 3,014 doctors have signed the new contract for family practice. (laughs) 480 of whom whom did not uh, do longitudinal family practice last year. In addition, Honourable Speaker, we lead Canada in the recruitment of new registered nurses, lead Canada in the re- recruitment of new health sciences re- professionals, lead Canada <laughs> in healthcare work Thank you. Thank you. We are taking the actions, and in every single one of those cases, we are doing it in cooperation with healthcare professionals and healthcare workers, and that is what we are going to continue
1: to do. Member Surrey south
0: Thank you, Honourable Speaker. It's not only the Premier's housing scandal, struggling families, and the lack of basic health care that are unfolding disasters. When we raised concerns about the so called safe supply drugs being diverted from vending machines in the downtown east side, the government dismissed our warnings. However, a post media investigation now confirms that the diversion of publicly supplied addictive drugs to the streets has reached such alarming levels that the street price of hydromorphone, the primary opioid handed out at safer supply sites, has plummeted by an incredible 95%. Diverted safe supply pills that used to sell for $10 a pill are now being sold for as low as $0.25 a pill around VGH and downtown because of this government's flooding of the market. Unsurprisingly, doctors are reporting a disturbing rise in the number of youths with new-onset opioid use disorder and an increasing number of youth overdoses in hospitals involving hydromorphone. Can the Premier confirm that specialists in addiction medicine are so alarmed by the consequences of hydromorphone and safe supply that they've ceased prescribing it and they are now withdrawing their patients from it?
1: Minister of Mental Health and Addictions.
0: Thank you.
8: Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. And I just I, I want to be clear about the uh, about the federal program that operates um, uh, uh, dispensing machines that uh, are operated by biometric um, markers in order to um, provide access to those individuals who have prescriptions for. Um, for uh, for safer safer supplies, and I understand that Health Canada is uh, is is monitoring and evaluating uh, the practices with respect um, to uh, to that program. Um, I, I would say that we uh, that, that with respect to diversion diversion is certainly something that it, our public health officials are looking at as part of the evaluation of our prescribed safer supply um, programs. And I know that health authorities work very closely. Uh, with prescribers, uh, with pharmacists, in order to monitor um, and, and, and monitor that situation and evaluate evaluate that situation. It is certainly part of the of the evaluation pro- uh, process that is uh, that is uh, uh, applies to our safer supply safer supply programs. And we will continue that evaluation in conjunction with our public health officials and our health authorities.
12: The bell ends the question period.